welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to my favorite coffee story. We're so happy you've joined us today. We have an incredible show. We're talking about giving freedom and hope through coffee, and we have very special guests joining us as we talk about that. And before I introduce Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor, I'm going to share a little bit about what's going on at Anikona Farm. So this is our Anikona Farm moment. We've had a wonderful time sharing the farm with very special friends lately. We've had Friends join us from Silicon Valley, as well as we have a very special friend with us from Los Angeles right now. And also Seattle friends came over and we had a big farm breakfast yesterday. So one of our favorite times on the farm is when we can share good farm moments with our friends. So that's a little bit about what's going on. And of course, in the last few weeks, we talked about how we were about to prune our coffee trees. Well, we have started pruning the trees and um, things are looking really good. We still have some beautiful white blossoms happening on the coffee trees and uh, that's always a, a wonderful time on the farm when we have that glorious fragrance from these beautiful white flowers so we'll be finishing pruning with the trees here in the next week or so so that's going really well so that's about um life on the farm at Anikona Farm so about our show today please we're talking about giving freedom and hope through coffee and we have our wonderful guests joining us from Berkeley, California. Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor are both co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company and they specifically focus on helping refugees integrate better into our communities um, through barista training and helping them be part of their Coffee Cafe 1951 Coffee. So we're so glad you've joined us Doug and Rachel. Welcome. Thank you. We're Thank excited you. to be here. We're so glad you're here and all the good that you do. We're just so thankful to hear your stories today. We, um, we'd we love to hear about how you actually started 1951 Coffee Company. First, if we may hear a little bit about your early days, maybe um, about your love of coffee and how you, um, Rachel and Doug, met each other. Well, our story started as Doug and Rachel in um, early 2012. Uh, I had started working for one of the refugee resettlement agencies in Oakland, California as a volunteer coordinator. And I went around meeting all the different volunteers and I stumbled upon this one who is hosting one of the most um, lively, amazing uh, vocational English classes along with helping people find jobs. And he was doing this as a volunteer basis while he was roasting coffee um, and working on some marketing and sales around some coffee projects. And it turned out to be Doug. And um, he was just fun and so um, it just really worked well with helping people in the community. And so when there was a spot open at the IRC, um, the job company we were working for, we pulled them on over to manage the employment programs there. And we worked together there for around three and a half years and we just kind of were on the same age and the same um, growth of positions and just our programs really overlapped. So that's how we had first met while working within the refugee resettlement world. Oh, and so for our listeners, IRC stands for International Rescue Committee, and that's actually in San Francisco. Is that right? 
You know, they the used to have an office in San Francisco, but they were priced out of there a while back. And so their um, main headquarters office is in Oakland now, and they serve the surrounding counties. Got it. And Doug, I know you were in San Francisco. You were attending university. And um, tell us about, please, how you attended the Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary and how you got a Master's of Divinity, please. Uh, Sure. So I was attending uh, Golden Gate uh, Seminary uh, when I first moved to the Bay Area, and I was there studying actually in a dual program they had, um, partnering with Union University. And so I got a Master's of Divinity, but also got a Master's in Intercultural Studies. Um, and so that was uh, part of what I um, was doing and got connected to refugees while going through that program. Fantastic. What were some of your favorite stories while you were attending university, Doug? Uh, I think one of the, the biggest things, just like many you know, students, uh, graduate students especially, you know, you're looking for a job to, to support yourself. And so yes. I began um, working at a, a coffee shop. There was a, a Starbucks cafe just down the hill um, from, from the school. And I got a job there, you know, was really just interested in coffee. Um, and really early on when I, I began working there, uh, there was another a guy roughly my same age who, who had gotten a job there. And um, we became friends. But, I, you know, I could tell that he wasn't originally from the United States. But I didn't really know much about him or, or how he had arrived. Um, and so I just asked him, said, you know, one day we had our, our lunch break together and I asked him about how he arrived to the United States. And he began to tell me this long story about fleeing from Eritrea um, in Eastern Africa and his journey wow. across the Sahara Desert and across the, the Mediterranean um, and eventually finding his way to the U.S. and applying for asylum here. And I sat and I heard that story from him as we sat in the cafe and I thought about the things that I was studying in school, and it completely opened my eyes to a world that I had always seen refugees as something, you know, happening outside, a, a, a situation happening outside the country. And suddenly it made it very personal and very close to home um, yes. for me. And so that, that was one of the, the first things that happened in my experience in graduate school and uh, working in coffee. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Doug. And I know with Rachel, you were over at the University of Colorado and you were studying international affairs in 2005, and then you ventured over to San Francisco a few years later, and um, it seems like you've always been, you were interested in volunteer work, and um, and that kind of then, you were doing that as part of International Rescue Committee. Tell us, Rachel, about some of your favorite coffee stories at university. Uh, you know, I was a really bad barista in college, so I think that's my only <laughs> coffee story from college. Um, my more had a little more to do with um, getting connected with the refugee world and that the University of Colorado at Boulder had a really neat um, work-study program for some of the uh, orphaned refugees from Sudan, which are often uh, known as the Lost Boys of Sudan. And so that was my first introduction into... Um, people new to the country and the challenges they were facing upon arrival with students that were my same age. So we have these vastly different experiences I almost couldn't even understand. And then my career after college was actually very much in the fundraising world, the social enterprise and operations. And I did those for um, a couple different places. And then when I had eventually, you know, come out to the Bay Area and was working with the International Rescue Committee. I was trying to kind of do my jungle gym move of 
doing something a little <laughs> bit more forward-facing, starting with volunteer coordinating. I eventually became a financial um, and asset-building coach with refugees who had been in the country a little longer to help them with credit scores, but then, of course, eventually got pulled back into the fundraising realm, as you always do if you know how yes. to be a fundraiser. Yes. Oh, that's fascinating. So your time in San Francisco, um, it sounds like you always had a love of coffee. Did you have a favorite coffee cafe by chance? Oh, of course. Modern coffee. (laughs) And we'll sing that from the top of every rooftop. When Doug and I first met, we officed together a couple of times and we were coffee buddies. And there was this whiteboard um, where we actually did a whole survey of the couple of coffee shops around us by price and taste. Um, and it, it just became our favorite. And, and that's really where I think our coffee relationship began. We bought an espresso machine together in our, ca- in our little office. And, and that was kind of like the original seed that was planted. Oh, so fun. And for Doug, I think for our listeners, it'd be really fun to share how you were involved in the Serbia Research Project in 2008. Please share about that. Sure. So... Um, as a part of my program, um, both at Golden Gate and at Union University, they had us um, conduct ethnographic research as a part of the focus on qualitative research. And so we, in, um, in the summer of 2008, spent a month in Serbia. And a lot of our focus was around understanding Serbian identity. So if anyone remembers the, the 90s, um, you know, and the, the conflicts that were going on in the former, yes. former Yugoslavia and kind of the... the they, now the term balkanization refers to the, the splitting apart of, of the Yugoslavia and, you know, the things that, you know, identity and being around nationality or being around religion or being around language and, and all the things that affected that, that breakup. Um, and so our project was to go into to Serbia um, and conduct ethnographic research, just sitting and interviewing people and really starting with just a basic question on what does it mean to be Serbian today um, and really like investigating, you know, what that has meant historically and feeding into the current situation. And so we found that, you know, for Serbia, the, the history of conflict kind of being on that border very close to, to, to Asia, but very close to, you know, uh, to, to, you know, on that border between Europe and Asia, it really was a place where a lot of conflicts in the world um, passed through and seeing how, you know, conflict was a major shaping part of uh, Serbian identity. And so that's, that's what we focused on. That was a, a research project that uh, my entire cohort of seven people worked on together. Oh, that's incredible. When you were in Serbia, you probably got to know a lot of good friends. And do you still keep in touch with some of those colleagues or friends? Uh, we do from time to time. Things like Facebook make it a, a little bit easier to, to kind of follow each other's lives while not always being directly in, in contact. But yeah, we, we still stay in contact from time to time. You still, so I'm so curious, Doug and Rachel, that moment when the both of you were there, maybe over a cup of coffee, talking about an idea about the possibility of a a coffee company that could help refugees better integrate. Tell us about that moment, please. So um, it it kind of began, I I had decided that I I was ready to kind of move on from, from working at the International Rescue Committee. I had been working in uh, helping refugees find, you know, employment. And then the last year that I was at the International Rescue Committee, I was overseeing resettlement um, for the IRC for the for the Bay Area, for the northern part of the Bay Area. And, you know, I, I began to see a lot of just the same challenges over and over again. And I knew that the work of the IRC was, was huge and it was good. 
but I still began to see, you know, gaps that, that needed to be reached um, through the community effort around the refugee resettlement agencies. And so I was leaving the IRC and I told Rachel and, you know, Rachel was on maternity leave at the time and um, she just wanted to hear, you know, hey, you know, I just want to check in with you um, before you head out and just see, you know, what are your next plans? And yes. so as we sat and we, we actually were having uh, Thai food at a place and we were sitting and talking <laughs> about, you know, what was going to be happening and, and, and those things. And, you know, one of the things that I mentioned is I had always, you know, thought it would be a really cool idea to have a cafe and be able to offer refugees, you know, just a job really quickly right away in an environment where they were understood, they were welcomed, and they were supported in the ways that we had seen a lot of refugees needed support when they, when they first arrived. Um, you know, and I just had that in a whole list of things. And I, I told Rachel that, um, didn't know at the time that she would then go back and she would talk to her husband, Brett, who had also volunteered at the International Rescue Committee. Um, but tell him about that idea and come back to me a week later and being like, hey, Doug, you know, what do you think about that? Do you really want to do it? Um, and so that was kind of that moment where we're like, oh, my goodness, okay, this, this could potentially be real. Wow. So as you were thinking through that, what were some of your your key kind of, you know, you come up with your initial thoughts of mission statements, and um, how would you kind of define the the first sort of mission statement or goal or and what you do at 1951 coffee company is is truly tremendous and really helps so many people who are displaced um how did you define that initially well initially when we would have our conversations it was really just to be the employer we wanted to be that we wanted to yes. see in the world it was really the coffee shop and it took us a couple months to decide to do this you know we we i called him Doug's answer was like, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know, let's think about it. And so we would send each other long emails um, and meet and have coffee and at least theoretically make sure that we were on the same page, that we wanted to do something at the top of an industry to show that people that come to this country have value and skill and worth that is just as wonderful as anyone that was lucky enough to be born in the U.S. And I think that was a very strong um, vision point that we had similar um, also what roles we would play in doing this you know my strength is is operations and business and fundraising and Doug's strength is truly around program and intercultural communication and that was just kind of setting in stand what roles we would play um, yes. and it all kind of it all kind of changed for us when a location found its way to us we actually after talking for a couple months we're not going to do it um, we were nervous about finding a location and the prospects and the finances around getting a lease and securing it uh, was daunting. It was something that was extremely out of either of our experience. Um, And thankfully, just through our networks and conversations, I was on maternity leave with a woman who uh, worked at a church in Berkeley and that I also go to, and they had this wonderful 1,200-square-foot space that had been intended to be a coffee shop at some point, but was just being used as a college lounge. Um, and through a couple conversations with their pastor and the congregation, um, they we started the process of opening the coffee shop there. And so that's kind of where at least the, the origination um, of what we wanted to do started. Um, yes. I think you had, Doug, you had more of an uh, effect on how our, our mission was created around that. I think in the first month, I was like working on business plan and like pitching and fundraising. <laughs> you were really building out our mission and kind of what our services were going to be. 
it, it sounds like you make a great team. And with Doug, you know, focused on the programs and uh, you, Rachel, focusing on the operations. What a great team. Before we go to break, um, I was wondering for our lister, listeners, if you'd be kind to share how you came up with the name 1951 um, Coffee Company. I know it's inspired by the Gen- Geneva Convention. Please briefly tell us about that. Sure. So as we were thinking of, of the name for the, the coffee shop, we, you know, there are a lot of really, you know, great, you know, names for cafes out there. And then there are others that just don't have, you know, much depth or meaning. And so we were trying to really think of something that would, would again, make sure that we're establishing something that is a really good quality, quality place, but also a name that would kind of have some intrigue and cause people to ask questions. Um, and so we were kind of like thinking around different names and, and that kind of stuff. And we really kind of began to think about, well, what is the, you know, this within the refugee, you know, resettlement protection um, kind of world, you know, what has been some of the most impactful, you know, moments and things that happened. And, and we really focused in on the, the 1951 refugee convention, which coming out of World War II was kind of the first time that there was a major global effort to, first of all, you know, identify and define, well, who are refugees? What is the specific situation that refugees are coming out of? And then, you know, what should be the, the international guidelines for the protection of people who, who are being persecuted or finding themselves in, in harm's way? And so that really became, you know, the document that led to the founding of the, the UNHCR, um, which is the UN Refugee Agency that oversees, you know, the processing of all refugees now. And so we really saw that as a, a starting point for kind of the global recognition and protection of refugees. And so we also saw, you know, what we were doing as, as, a, as a starting point as well. We saw it as a starting point for the recognition of, of refugees here um, and also, you know, being a part of that welcome and that protection uh, of refugees. And so we thought 1951 would be a, a really good place to, to start and, you know, name our cafe after that. Definitely. I think the name is perfect. So Rachel and Doug, we're so enjoying our chat and we're going to take a quick break. So listeners, please join us. We've been talking with Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor. They're co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about how Rachel and Doug brought the team together to create such an amazing place, 1951 Company coffee company. Please join us right after the break. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. 
What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. This is Aniko Samoji, and we have incredible guests with us today, Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor, who are co-founders of the 1951 Coffee Company in Berkeley, California. And we were just talking about how it all came about, how 1951 Coffee Company did come together with Doug and Rachel founding it, and all the stories, that their personal stories, they were just so inspiring, how they led up to creating 1951, and even the name, um, how the name was inspired. We were just going to share with Rachel and Doug a little bit more when they decided to start the company, how they brought the team together and um, grew the group. How did that go, Rachel and Doug? So when we first uh, began looking at, you know, we, we were getting ready to, to open the cafe. Uh, we knew it would open in early 2017. And we really, you know, knew that we would need someone to, to lead our team of, of baristas. And there was a person that Rachel and I had interacted with uh, quite a bit when we were working at the International Rescue Committee. There was a refugee who was resettled named Meg Karki. And he was resettled as a refugee from Bhutan, um, had spent most of his life in Nepal in a refugee camp. Um, and he came to the, to the U.S. And like many refugees, you know, he had you know, pretty decent English, super friendly personality. But when it came to finding employment just, you know, had this really hard time of nailing down that, that first job, even though we could see him as someone who would excel in any opportunity given, he just really struggled to find that first job. But after Meg found that first job and um, subsequent jobs that he landed in after that, he always came back to the IRC and was like, Hey, what can I do to help other people who are coming in to, you know, be able to help them have a better start than, than what I had. He taught some training classes for us, taught people how to, to work in restaurants in the U.S. And so when we were ready to open our cafe, he was one of the first people that we went to. And we're like, hey, we're going to need someone to help us lead our team. Um, and so we invited him to, to join us. And so he was our first kind of uh, barista hire in the, in the cafe um, to, to help us kind of get everything ready and help us go through the hiring process for, for all of the others. And then from there, we began to network. Um, we had already been running our training program 
uh, in the Bay Area for a year before that. And so we knew a, a few people who had already gone through that were looking for jobs in the, in the coffee industry. Um, but we also connected with the International Rescue Committee, which we had worked at before, and just asked, you know, are there any people looking for jobs right now? And we're able to pull together a, a team of uh, 10 baristas to, to open the cafe from seven different countries. Wow. Well, that's that's amazing. And Meg sounds like such an amazing person. Uh, and he was a tremendous person to probably lead that barista training program initially. His story um, from being from Bhutan, share with us a little bit, please, about how he ended up in the United States. Sure. So um, Meg was, was originally from uh, Bhutan, and his family were a part of a, a Nepali ethnic group living in southern Bhutan. And Bhutan at the time had a policy um, they called the, the One Nation, One People policy. And it really it, it meant, you know, following the, the main guidelines and the main, you know, religion and the main culture of the kind of dominant political group um, within Bhutan. And of course, you know, like many other groups, you know, his, you know, group didn't want to follow that. They wanted to have their own culture and their own tradition. Um, and so the Bhutanese government government basically revoked the citizenship and, you know, they were forced to, to leave. Um, they went to kind of went across portion of India into southern Nepal, um, which was more like, you know, had spoke the same language as them and also um, was predominantly Hindu, which many of the people from southern Bhutan were Hindu. Um, and so the Nepali government really couldn't support them. So the UNHCR stepped in uh, and set up refugee camps in the portion of uh, southern Nepal. And so he spent about 20 years um, growing up from age two. Uh, That's when his family left Bhutan um, for 20 years until he eventually went through the whole process uh, to come to the United States. And that took, you know, in 2010 is when they really began that process of, of bringing people in uh, to the U.S. And so for him, it took him about two and a half years to go through the entire UNHCR vetting process uh, to be able to get to the U.S. Well, what a journey that is. And it sounds like things really worked out well for Meg. He's moved to um, British Columbia now, and it seems like he's doing well. And you have a new cafe manager um, named Ali. Please tell us about um, a little more about Ali. So sure, yeah. So Ali um, was in one of our early uh, barista training classes, and he had, he did a great job. Our, our barista training classes go for for two weeks, uh, and there was an opportunity that came up for a, a cafe that needed someone right away, but he hadn't actually quite finished the class yet. But he had been doing so well. I asked him, I said, you know, Ali, there's this opportunity. Would you really like to go for it? Um, and so he was like, I'll, I'll give it a try. And so uh, he interviewed actually at Dropbox, so the, the tech company Dropbox, at a cafe in yes. their, their headquarters in San Francisco. And he interviewed, um, and they, they offered him the job on the spot, and they needed him to start the next day. So he pretty oh much went gosh. straight from being right in the middle of our training class to, to starting the job and, and just jumping in really quickly. Um, and I mean, Ollie ended up being the perfect person to do that because within a, a month or two months, I saw that he had opened an Instagram account where he began to, you know, he was pouring, you know, learning how to pour lattes and cappuccinos, but he opened an Instagram account of like the latte art that he was, was creating. And I mean, he really just took the opportunity and, and ran with it to the point that after he had been there for about a year, um, they had made him assistant manager at the Dropbox cafe. Um, he was overseeing kind of their team there at the, the headquarters cafe. Um, and then, you know, when, when Meg told us, you know, that he was going to be moving to, to British Columbia to join his wife and their, their new baby that's on the way, um, you know, we, we reached out to, to Ali and a number of others to see, you know, who might be interested. And, you know, when we talked to him, I mean, he was saying, you know, I would love to be able to come back and, and lead this team and, and be the manager of, of the cafe and kind of an opportunity for him to 
continue to have like you know teach and have an impact on a, a new generation of refugees coming in as well. So, yes, well, I think it's incredible that you have over seventeen countries represented in your barista training program. Please tell us about that and um, where people are coming from. Now, that's pretty representative of the Bay Area when it comes to um, the immigrant uh, populations that we're seeing. And specifically, we see people that are coming through the refugee program that are seeking asylum or have their asylee status or someone through the special immigrant visa program. And specifically, yes. those are people that are um, fleeing their homes for reasons of race, religion, um, nationality, membership of a particular social group or political opinion. Um, refugee yes. status is conferred when someone is left their home and is connected with the UN um, High Commissioner for Refugees, and they go through that process and they're recommended for resettlement, the U.S. being one of the many countries that resettle refugees. Asylees are leaving their country or their home for many of the same reasons, um, but they find their way to the U.S. on their own, and then they declare themselves, once they're here, to seek asylum status. Um, and, and that is a long process to go through, and if their case is granted, they get the same, uh, many of the same rights and services that a refugee does. Um, and lastly, is a special immigrant visa holder. And um, a lot of what is coming into the U.S. right now are people that had worked with the U.S. government in either Iraq or Afghanistan. And so between all these three immigration statuses, they come from a variety of different countries. Um, the refugee countries are not always the same as the asylee countries, so they can be. Um, yes. You know, asylees, I think right now the majority is often from Central America and China. Um, for the refugee countries, it's uh, several Afro African countries, Middle Eastern country, and Southeast Asian, and of course, the SIV specifically from Iraq or Afghanistan. So the Bay Area is a melting pot for sure. It definitely is. And it sounds like 1951 Coffee Company is a comfortable place for people to come, um, receive their barista training, and kind of help with this whole resettlement challenge. Please tell us about a little bit about that gap that we've learned about how companies try to provide an environment that helps um, some of these these people. But at 1951, it seems like you've been able to bridge the gap a little bit where either there are some language things or filling out applications might not um, really do justice for someone's background who's coming from a different country. Tell us, please, about how 1951 is addressing that and sort of that helping provide that comfortable environment. I think from a theoretical sense, at least, we really see ourselves as a bridge between the amazing uh, resettlement agencies and service providers that are really working to help that initial resettlement um, yes. to employers that often um, want to help in these areas that have a lack of context or just, you know, notions on how to make the situation um, more comfortable for a new refugee employer. So we really see ourselves as playing of that middle point of both yes. um, oh, assisting with the skills training that is so necessary and vocational English, workplace cultural orientation, you know, workers' rights, hygiene, point of sale system, so many of the skills, but also really helping with that social, linguistic, and cultural orientation. And I think that what we saw really is the power of the coffee industry is that as the entry level, as a barista, it really allowed for that integration into a community 
that people don't get when they're new as a refugee. And so um, I think Doug will be better to explain kind of more of the um, systematic ways we go around our work with that. Oh, that's so inspiring, Rachel. Doug, please share with us a little bit more. Sure. So, you know, when a, a refugee arrives in, in the United States, the that for the Jew settlement program is that a refugee is economically self-sufficient within the first six months that they arrive in the country. Um, and, you know, they're given a, a small resettlement grant, um, which really, I mean, in a place like here in the Bay Area, it gets them through about the first month. Um, and then after that, they really are, are beginning to be on their own um, to support themselves. And so connection with employment is, is huge. Um, and so a lot of refugees are in situations where they really need to just accept any job that is available to get started, to get moving, and, you know, to find some way to have an income so that about six to eight months when most of the social service benefits wear off, they will then have a way to, to carry themselves forward and start that, that new life in the U.S. And so we knew that connecting people with employment was really important. But one of the challenges that, that we saw that people had is because that, that need for employment was so quick and so fast, that the ability to, to focus on acquiring English language or the ability to, to really take some time to, to adapt to a new culture uh, was, was not there. Um, and then the other thing is because you have needing to connect with any job right away, regardless of your, your previous work experience or previous education, you know, a lot of times you're going to end up in a job where you're, you know, if you're working at a restaurant, you may be back of house, you may be doing, you know, washing dishes or something like that. And because you also didn't find that first job, you're not really sure about how to, to progress further in, in, in the future. Yes. And so, you know, I would talk to some people that were really great, really wonderful people. And, you know, they have a job as, you know, as a dishwasher for two, three years. And, you know, they would come back to me and they'd be like, hey, what can I do to, to get past this, to move to the next to the next thing? But then I would also talk to a lot of refugees about their experiences on the way to the U.S. and how, you know, they would enter into a country where they were offered a job and they were working at a, at a restaurant or at a place where they were interacting with customers and they would acquire a new language and become almost fluent in a new language in, in six months. And a lot of yes. it was because they had the opportunity to day in and day out interact with people from, from that country. And so really, as we were looking at our cafe, we, we knew that there would be some support, you know, portions that would be necessary. But the supports that were put in place were all there to, to highlight the strength and skills that people already had. Um, and so we would provide them with the opportunity to, to work through their English while interacting with customers day in and day out, always making sure that there were people on the, the shifts working with them who, who understood a, a enough English to, you know, to help fill in any gaps that may be present in, in communication, but also just day in and day out, you know, affirming, you know, the, the welcome to our staff, you know, in our cafe is, you know, the people who, who opened and started the cafe, um, but then also providing a platform for them to communicate with Americans about, about their lives and to, to learn about American, you know, people coming into the cafe and learn about their lives and build friendships, you know, uh, across that bar. Because, you know, there are many cafes, you know, in the U.S. where people who are customers to those cafes go to that cafe every single day, sometimes even multiple times a day, and it really becomes a part of their daily life and daily community. And we wanted to find a way for refugees to be able to have that opportunity to be a part of the daily life of American people in a very valuable and a very dignified way. And we are so grateful to you, Doug and Rachel, for creating 1951 Coffee Company because what you do is make, making such a huge difference in the lives of people who are coming to the U.S., who you're helping them integrate and integrate in a very 
a comfortable, safe environment, uh, which uh, we just would like to express our gratitude. And I know our listeners all around the world are so inspired by your story, um, your stories, by your how you've approached addressing um, helping refugees from all around the world. And it's a very special story, um, and I'm so glad that we can share it. I also um, can very much relate to um, re- the refugee story. My parents are refugees from Hungary in 1956. They escaped. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, similar situation in 1956, and how they came to the U.S. Um, in one case, my father ended up washing bus- buses Um, My mother worked in a cookie factory. My father-in-law was a physician, so he had that integration very quickly at Johns Hopkins. He just had to redo his residency. And then my mother-in-law, she was a draftsman, and she started working as a woman. And she also um, didn't speak English very well, but her, her drawing skills were incredible. So what you're doing, I can just, from my heart, express my gratitude, but also on behalf of all of our listeners, too. So we thank you, Rachel and Doug. And we also are really appreciative to how you've been able to promote dignity and equality and definitely give freedom and hope through coffee. We'd love to, before we go to break, we'd love to ask you one last question about um, how in particular the coffee culture is something that we can all relate to over a cup of coffee. I think those customers who come into your, your cafe also learn about situations in different countries. Please tell us about that. Sure. So, I mean, coffee is, is massively international. I mean, either you're a producing country or you're a consuming country or you're possibly both. Um, and so we knew that, you know, coffee and tea are something that are welcoming beverages in almost, you know, any home, any culture uh, around the world. And we knew that, you know, people coming into our cafe, um, you know, especially in the United States, there, there had been a growing movement toward understanding the, the origins of, of coffee. A lot of it led through things happening in the specialty coffee part of the industry, looking at direct trade and really focusing on like the improvement in quality of life at the farm yes. level for, for many um, coffee roasters. And so, you know, for us, as we were looking at, at that aspect of our cafe, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we also interacted with coffee roasters that, that were doing that. We're focusing really, really well on improving the quality of life at the, at the farm level because many uh, coffee-producing countries, many of our baristas grew up in countries that, that produce coffee. Um, and the, the ability for them to have stable lives through stable income also breeds more stable countries. And I think yes. that that's something that we see in many ways. This kind of is, is moving full circle. People who grew up in places where it was unstable and yet they are coffee producing countries. Now they're here working in, in coffee in a, in a different way and, and the potential of being able to then feed that information back into the countries that they're from and be able to boost the quality of life through empowering people even at the farm level through, through coffee. And so there's, there's a new generation of people who um, we're hoping you know, we'll be able to have a big impact both on the coffee industry. And we think the coffee industry is primed for that and open to Definitely. Thank you for sharing that, Doug. And so we will be coming right after, back right after the break. We've been talking with Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor. They're co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company. And we've been just so inspired by their stories and how they really do help refugees from all around the world through their, through their coffee company. When we come back right after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about 
some of the future dreams for 1951 Coffee Company. What's down the road? So please join us right after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story. We're having an amazing show with Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor, co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company. We're, we're sharing about giving freedom and hope through coffee and the inspiring stories of 1951 Coffee Company, how they train um, baristas, um, have a barista training program for refugees and provide an incredible, safe and in, in comfortable environment for refugees to become integrated in American life. And we were just going to talk about a little bit more about what's down the road for 1951 Coffee Company. Rachel, please share with us or Doug. Yeah, um, you know, I think that the incredible part about the cafe, and it's one of those things that once you've been there, you get it and you feel it. And and Doug and I saw this a lot working um, in the resettlement sector, is that you would meet Americans that either cared so passionately about the issue, but they didn't really know how to connect with someone who is a refugee. And so they would end up doing an in-kind donation drive or posting you know, articles on their social media. And that's great. But it also led to this very unequal power dynamic of someone that is kind of pitting someone else. Um, alternatively, you know, Doug and I have both you know, lived for a time in our lives in the South and other areas where maybe there is um, just misinformation or people aren't really aware of it, um, of what's going on. And so it's just these different levels of not understanding who a refugee is and where they're from. And the cafe is a um, place where you can have those authentic, dignified connections. And that's yes. really what we want to do with this cafe. We feel like that there is a place for a 1951 in every city that has a vibrant refugee community and a coffee industry. 
Very true. Have you been able to take your barista training program kind of on the road to some other places? Sure. So uh, recently, uh, we received a, a grant from the Starbucks Foundation to actually take our training program and expand it to San Diego. And so that's our, our newest place where we're uh, offering our, our barista training program right now. We've had three classes so far. Um, there's a, a wonderful partner down in San Diego, James Coffee, who has allowed us to uh, use the space actually at their cafe. They have an extra espresso machine set up, and they've hosted us for a, for a number of classes already uh, in that area. And so that's kind of our, our most recent growth edge that's currently currently active but you know as Rachel said I mean we're looking for opportunities we know there are many cities out there where you know the cafe and the training program could provide opportunities for refugees and also you know an advocacy point so that you know refugees have an opportunity to interact and meet with uh, Americans and Americans have an opportunity to interact with with refugees and really meet on a human level uh, face to face and learn more about each other. True so so sorry go ahead Rachel. I'm saying the hardest part about growing is finding those locations and those partners in different cities to help invite us and get us connected to the coffee industry, to the refugee industry. And so I, I definitely call the action and excitement about being in the program is just if there's a passion for it, please reach out to us because our, our hope is really to grow this. Oh, this is so exciting. And it sounds like you're well on your way. And it's wonderful that the Starbucks Foundation has has um, supported you on this, and we wish you well with the San Diego training program. Uh, that's just fantastic. How would you describe um, when you're when you're taking your barista program on the road? You probably have a sort of 1951 vibe. How would you describe that so that you take that along with you? Oh, I would uh. say what is what is our 1951 vibe? Hopefully, you know, it, it definitely involves. A- I think one of the, the biggest things that, that we want people to get out of the class, you know, when they come into our class, obviously the goal is for them to, to learn about coffee and to learn to make coffee and, and have a certain skill when they, when they finish. But also we want that to really be a beginning of them just feeling completely welcome to have, to have fun, to play games in the, in the, in the class and to, to laugh. And, you know, I mean, sometimes we will watch videos of people trying to pour and make lattes and we'll always watch one or two where people just pour milk all over the counter and the milk just <laughs> goes everywhere. And, you know, we want people to, to understand that we're attempting to, to teach people to make coffee to the best that it can be made. Uh, we're trying to use the highest quality standards and, and all of those things. But at the same time, we want it to be enjoyable. We want it to be fun. And we want it to be something that, you know, when you're smiling and you're trying to do something well, it's so much better than if you just have a stern face and you're just focused on getting it, you know, getting it right. And we want people to be able to laugh through the mistakes and hopefully, you know, grow through that. So I think that's, that's probably our, our biggest thing is quality and fun at the same time. Oh, that's that's great. And um, I bet you have a lot of fun. Have you kept in touch with some of your graduates? Yeah, we've kept in touch with um, with several of them. There's I mean, Ali, obviously, is our cafe manager is one of them. There's three brothers that uh, all from Syria that all went through our program and either worked for us or other cafes. So they're around a bunch. Um, It's fun for us when a past graduate will actually come into the 1951 coffee shop and bring their barista colleagues or friends of theirs. And that's just one of those really full circle moments that we're like, this is amazing. Like this person was new to the U.S. They have this incredible job and they have a network of friends that they're coming out here and just doing what everyone wants to do, hang out with your friends and grab a cup of coffee. So those have been amazing moments. I know Doug keeps in touch with a lot more of our graduates than I do. Yes, yeah, so, so rewarding. We also, um, 
one of the interesting things is like in our barista training class, we often visit um, one of the partner cafes that are hiring, you know, refugees that we work with. And very often we will go to one of the cafes where someone who has been through our class is now working and allow them the opportunity to say, hey, you know, I was once in your spot. I was once in the class and now I'm I'm here working. And this is what I've experienced since working here and the things that I'm doing and things like that. And so, yeah, we try to stay in touch in that way also to give them an opportunity to kind of contribute to the, the other baristas that are, that are coming along. So. Oh, that's just so amazing. Really incredible. And thank you for sharing that. When you're managing 1951 Coffee Company, um, I know there's a lot going on every day. There's a lot to do. There's um, a lot on your minds. What would you say are some of your favorite parts of managing 1951? I'll let you handle that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I would say my, my obviously one of the, the things that I actually am, am really grateful for is actually Rachel being the one who oversees the numbers. While I could do that, I actually really enjoy being able to focus on the programs. And so having someone that, you know, when we were starting this process and she's like, hey, can I be in charge of the budget? So can I be in charge of the accounting? And I was like, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you know, so I think that's obviously one thing. But I think, uh, you know, on the on the level that Rachel and I interact and the way that we interact with our staff is I think that you know, we are attempting to, you know, while we know that 1951 will grow, um, we're still wanting to infuse every part of it with welcoming people and making sure that people are welcome. We have, you know, a number of, you know, support administrative staff who are coming in and we want them to, you know, across the board, whether it's the the people working in our cafe, the people working in administrative staff, for them to feel like they are colleagues with each other, that they are co-equal people as a part of this mission together of of what we're doing to to raise and support. Because once people work with us, you know, they're a part of, you know, supporting the next generation of people that will that will come behind them, regardless of, of where they're from or what their experience has been before that. And so I think seeing, you know, people as they as they grow and as they kind of join our team in, in new ways, whether they go from, you know, being just, a, you know, starting out as a, a barista staff member and then they begin to, to manage and teach other people or we have a new employee that comes in. And we see this new employee, and we're like, "Why? How are you getting these skills so quickly?" And they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I was working with with Peter the other day, and Peter was showing me all these new techniques." And we're like, "Wow!" So Peter, who was one of our first employees, is now teaching you and supporting you, and you're doing so great because you're working with him. And so that that those are the things that seeing how everyone is growing and supporting each other is is huge, and it makes managing a cafe so much easier when you have a staff that are constantly trying to to grow and support each other. So. Oh, that's so wonderful how they do support each other. Uh, do you by chance have, um, I know you're focused here on San Diego, but do you have some travels scheduled down the road, Rachel or Doug? Yeah, we head up to Seattle once a year um, for, they have an annual coffee conference through the Specialty Coffee Association. So we were lucky enough to present there last year and we're doing so again. So we'll be up in Seattle in April. Um, We do head down to San Diego every couple of months. Um, And yeah, I I think that's about all of our travel right now. Um, We have have our cities in mind that we'd love to start traveling to more and have more opportunities to grow um, well across the country. Yes, and maybe even some international travel down the road? Yes, for sure. You want us there, you pay for it, we'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. There's a big coffee expo for Europe in um, coming up, I think, in in June. That might be something. Yeah, and that's we presented the sister version of that, the one in the US. Yeah, yeah. So now we'd love to come to that one. 
Yeah, definitely. So living in Berkeley, California, it's um, it's an interesting area. Uh, what do you? What are some of your favorite things to do in Berkeley? Oh, I'm the Berkeley resident here. What can I say? I live right near the Gourmet Ghetto, so I get to walk down there and have fabulous food and other great coffee. Um, Bay Area also has some great hikes and stuff like that, so I'd have to say the other area is Tilden Park is my favorite place to hike around and enjoy the outdoors. That's very pretty. Yeah. How about you, Doug? Uh, well, I actually live in, in Oakland. Uh, I live close to the, the Lake Merritt area, which is actually really close to where our, our training class is. And that's one of the places where the, kind of that area has been where refugees have been resettled over the years. And um, I think anyone who knows me knows that I, you know, I love doing the hikes and things that are, that are available in Oakland, but I often try to take a lot of people out to, to Yosemite as often as I can. I'm probably out there once or twice a month. Um, so, yeah, that, that's obviously what I, I like to do. So. How do the the refugees find you? Uh, is it through like the International Rescue Committee or through sort of word of mouth? So we we actually network with pretty much all of the different refugee assistance agencies that are that are here in the area. Um, and so you know the International Rescue Committee is is one of one of many Catholic charities um, of the East Bay and Jewish um, Family and Children Services are the three main refugee resettlement agencies. But there's also Refugee Transitions, which works a lot with uh, tutoring and supporting refugee youth um, going through school, Oakland International High School, um, among you know many others um, that you know that we work with. And that's here here in the Bay Area. San Diego has some of those same organizations and also some some new organizations. But as we've grown as you know, uh, as an organization with our training program, some of our trainees, um, you know, who finished class and they've gotten jobs, you know, they refer their friends to us. And so sometimes we have direct referrals and then we have had a few people that have found us online. Uh, they've been Google searching different opportunities and they find out about our training class. And so it's kind of both organic and then, um, through referrals as well. Right. Well, it sounds like um, you have an amazing team to help those potential baristas learn and be able to then take that skill set and use it in the community. And it seems like it's working out just great. Before we close, Rachel and Doug, um, I always love asking when we have such an amazing story about 1951 Coffee Company, um, before we close, there's so much that you can be proud of. Um, if I were to ask you, what's, what are you most proud of at this point with 1951, Rachel? Uh, we get this question a lot. I was actually talking to Doug about it the other day. I am proud of how the community has risen up to give us items, opportunities, services and expertise to do this. Like I'm odd that we pulled this off and that we are getting to advocate at this level for refugees. And it's like, I just feel like we're the conductor of people that just gave us amazing tools, money, resources, advice that we could have never dreamed of. And that is like, yeah, we just had this conversation the other day. That's truly what I think we're both most proud of. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Doug, anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I think I think just adding on on top of that is is we're proud to see the way that our our, our staff members and the community here who who co- are coming in as customers, how they are they're building relationships with with each other. Some of our 
our regular customers that are you know students here at, at UC Berkeley, um, when Meg was leaving his going away party, like they made it a point to make sure that they came and they were there and, and, and a part of saying you know goodbye to him because they had, you know they were a part of his daily life and he was a part of their daily life for yes. for a whole year. Um, and so like seeing the different impact in the way that our you know the integration piece that was that's happening here in, in the cafe, we're, we're really proud to see that that actually is something that that's happening and very happening and very natural and normal ways. Oh, well, thank you, Doug and Rachel, Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor, co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company, for the amazing impact in helping refugees in our communities. Thank you to both of you for joining us today, for sharing your inspiring stories to our listeners. Well, so thank you so much. And to our listeners, we really appreciate you joining us as well. Uh, We've had another great week together. So we wish you a great, relaxing week. Um, Of course, we always share our Anikona gift to our listeners at anikona.com. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, uh, you can always email us questions at radio at myfavoritecoffeestory.com. We've had an amazing time talking about giving freedom and hope through coffee. Thank you again, Doug and Rachel. In the meantime, we'll get back together next week, but in the meantime, we wish you a big aloha. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.